Well, friends, you are listening to Radio Pulpit 657 AM and Radio Cape Pulpit 729 AM. Um, you are joining Mark Penrith on Table Talk with Mark. Who am I, you might ask? I am the husband of one wife, Liesel. I am the father of Caitlin, Catherine, and Thomas. I am also a pastor at Central Baptist Church in Pretoria. We have campuses in Arcadia, just down the road from the radio pulpit offices, and across the city on the east side of Pretoria in Zwavelpoort, which is past Linwood and those areas. I'm really starting to understand my geography of Pretoria. I think if I had to just drive in any direction for 10 minutes, I could probably make my way back home now. I kind of know the lay of the land. Shout out to everyone tuning in from those suburbs, but recognizing this morning that we have people tuning in from all over our country. Uh, we have folk in KwaZulu Natal, in the Western Cape, in the Eastern Cape, in Transvaal. Uh, in Transvaal, in uh, the Northern Cape, uh, in Mpumalanga, Limpop, wherever you are tuning in this morning, it is good to be with you. Uh, we do love the regular listeners that come in from all over South Africa. And let me say from beyond uh, South Africa as well, as I look at those of you who have commented on Facebook and sent in WhatsApps this morning, I recognize that a number of you are from beyond our country. I have no doubt we have long-time listeners uh, that engage and interact with us each and every week. I do want to say hello to Michelle, who's listening in from Lindy Sport. I hope I said that right. Um, Brie, uh, uh, do you see that prayer request, Brie? And uh, may the Lord God bless you. Um, Corrie is listening in from Consent Sikon, which kind of sounds a little bit sounds a little bit like one of those um, you know those transformers. It sounds like a transformer name, Consemticon, uh, which is in Chile. Uh, on your way back to South Africa today. Great to have you with us. Thank you so much for tuning in and uh, and for commenting. And maybe just to say that Kari uh, is on Facebook, listening to the live stream on Facebook right now. Maybe to say if you are on Facebook and you are listening to the live stream, just drop a hi down below in the comments so that I know that you are with us. I see Liesl Penrith, who is my wife, just liked um, the the stream. So great to have you with us, uh, love, as well. Um, and Michelle and Cory have dropped comments. I know that a number of people have shared as well, including Teresa, a long-time listener. Always good to have you with us, Teresa, as well. Um, and I do see Benson has made a comment. Folk, this morning is a live questions and answers. A live que- This is your op- your opportunity to ask a biblical question and to have it answered live on air. What has been keeping you awake at night? Um, and you've been thinking through it and you would like to engage in a biblical discussion around it. Or what were you talking about in Bible study this week? And uh, you were intrigued and you were fascinated and you would like to extend the conversation somewhat and have a conversation this morning uh, live on air as you listen in on radio or as as you phone into the studio or as you listen to the stream on Facebook or whatever other mechanism you are on. I've no doubt you have questions. This morning, we are looking forward to opening our Bibles and talking about answers. You might ask, how can I join 
the conversation? How can I engage in the conversation? Well, Glenn, who is listening in from their car, is obviously on stream. Brother, the way that you might engage in the conversation is by uh, Facebook commenting, pull over before you text. (laughs) Pull over before you text. You can drop a comment on Facebook. That is one way that we will see your engagement uh, in studio. Another way that you can engage with us is by phoning in. Now, this is by far my favorite. When you phone in and I get to hear your voice, I get to talk to you, I get to ask for a clarification uh, regarding the question that you are asking or the opinion that you are giving, um, I always enjoy those engagements most. You might want to know the studio line, in which case, can I ask you to get ready to write it down right now? Maybe also just to say that it is on the show notes on the live stream on our Radio Pulpit Facebook page. That's Radio Pulpit Radio Console. Uh, The studio line is listed there. Uh, But let me give you the number live on air. It is 012-334-1322. Should I repeat that so that you've got it? 012-334-1322. I would appreciate uh, telephone calls. It's always great to engage with you that way. Um, And you can send in a WhatsApp or Telegram. Uh, WhatsApp voice notes are also really helpful. Do enjoy getting those uh, on a Friday the WhatsApp and telephone uh, and telephone. <laughs> you can see I'm dated, right? It's all mobile numbers now. <laughs> Nobody has a telephone anymore. The WhatsApp and the Telegram number is 082-657-2729. We're also on Twitter. You can tweet us at at 657am if you're on Twitter. Do engage with uh, my Twitter account. It's Mark Penrith. If you are on Facebook, engage with my Facebook page. It is Pastor Mark Penrith. Love engaging with the listening audience. This morning I'm going to start off with a question that is related to election related to election uh, this uh, past Wednesday we were having a conversation at Bible study and uh, we were talking about sanctification sanctification this idea that we were sanctified uh, at the point of salvation we are sanctified in the present and we will one day be sanctified in the future and the question came up well who are those that are sanctified and the answer was it is those whom the Lord God chose set apart which is really where we get this idea of sanctification from and before the foundation of the world and uh, (laughs) after uh, we we chatted around uh, sanctification from Colossians chapter 2 which is the passages that we were in in Bible study um, we had quite a long conversation around around uh, election around the statement that God might have chosen people before the foundation of the world what does that mean that God has elected that God has chosen people even before the foundation of the world quite simply put Um, It it is an understanding from Scripture, the revelation of God, that God has been involved in sanctification even before in your sanctification, in your salvation, even before you were born. On the basis of divine foreknowledge, God elects individuals before the foundation of the world. You can read about that in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. But in actual fact, 
Ephesians chapter 1 is replete with this understanding of the glory of God in salvation and the sovereignty of God in salvation. Um, Of course, when you start talking about the sovereign will of God in salvation, the next question that you ask is, well, what about human free will? Um, You know, how, how can we possibly have free will if God decided who would be saved even before he created the heavens and the earth? It's an excellent question. And it's a question which rolls um, almost necessarily um, from this understanding of election. Well, that's answered for us um, all over scripture as well. The truth is that we as individuals remain responsible for decisions that we make in this world, that the sovereign will of God does not include exclude um, our own uh, will, our volitional will, the things that we do. And God calls upon us. He even commands us that we must repent for the forgiveness of sins, that we must place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, that we must call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be saved. Um, Friends, that command is a command. It is not a suggestion. It is not an option. We are commanded to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ that we might live. And so that is the call on each and every human being. It's a universal call. It goes out to all people. And yet, as it goes out as a preacher, I have confidence that some will be saved precisely because I know that God will save them that he is the Lord of salvation let me tell you how this works out practically in scripture if you think of the book of Jonah uh, the book of Jonah it's a very short book it's just four chapters they are riveting when you think of Jonah you probably think of Jonah and the whale (laughs) probably wasn't a whale it just talks about this fish Um, but really the book of Jonah isn't primarily about Jonah he is not the superhero in the book of Jonah in actual fact he's probably the most rubbish missionary that has ever existed God comes to Jonah and he says hey Jonah I want you to go to Nineveh Jonah responds by saying no and he demonstrates the knownness of his heart by getting in the ship and literally going in the opposite direction towards the great city of um of Tarshish on the opposite end of the world. The superhero in the book of Jonah is God. He is in actual fact the great missionary and he is a sovereign superhero. He's a sovereign missionary. God demonstrates that he is Lord of salvation the whole way through the book. In chapter 1, God sovereignly sends winds. He sovereignly sends a storm. God sovereignly sends a fish to swallow Jonah. Um, the, The word that is repeated through the book of Jonah is this idea of the Lord appointed. Um, It is a sovereign appointing. It is the kind of appointing that you can only do if you are the creator of the heavens and the earth and you sustain all things by the power of your word and you have the sovereign right to appoint great fishes to swallow Jonah up in verse 17 of chapter 1. Bottom line is, And again, it talks to the sovereignty of God. It talks to God being the hero of the book of Jonah. Jonah is in the belly of the fish and he calls out to the Lord. He calls out to Yahweh. He is in great distress and God answers him out of the belly of Sheol. Uh, He is 
close to death. He is uh, in the belly of this fish. He he cries out to God, and as he cries out to God, he comes to an understanding um, that that those who pay regard to vain idols and forsake their hope of steadfast love, um, but as for him, with a voice of thanksgiving, he will sacrifice to God, and what he has vowed, he will pay. And his last declaration in chapter two is salvation belongs to the Lord. It's a acknowledgement that God is sovereign. God was sovereign over those winds. He was sovereign over the storm. He is sovereign over the fish. Salvation belongs to God. If God wants to save Nineveh, God will save Nineveh. And at that moment, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto the dry land. Well, now God appears to Jonah again in chapter three. That's what chapter three is all about. And, and God says, Jonah, you need to go down to that great city of Nineveh. And so Jonah goes. You might think at this stage that Jonah is going to be a good missionary. You know, like chapter 1 was all about him being a bad missionary. Well, in chapter 3, Jonah turns out to be a pretty rubbish missionary um, as the story unfolds. The bottom line is he goes to the city of Nineveh. But instead of declaring a gospel message to them, a message of hope, a message of potential redemption, a call on them to turn away from their sins and to place it uh, in the Lord God and in his promise, Jonah just goes down to the city of Nineveh and says, hey, listen here, the judgment of God is going to come upon you. The Ninevites are cut to the heart you might say they get into ash cloth uh, ash cloth they get into sackcloth they put ashes on their heads they come under under great repentance and come before God and cry out to God uh, for redemption they realize there is no ways they can save themselves and so chapter 3 ends off with these words that when God saw what they did how they turned from the evil way God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it well you would think maybe Jonah's learned his lesson God was gracious to him uh, God did not allow him to die in the belly of the fish God has been gracious and kind and long-suffering and merciful to the people of Nineveh. God is the Lord of salvation and Jonah praised the Lord. That's not what happened. It turns out in chapter 4, the last chapter of the book of Jonah, Jonah goes and sits on the opposite bank of the river and he's hoping that God will rain down fire and brimstone like he did with Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities that refused to repent, that he will rain down uh, fire and brimstone on the great city of Nineveh. Um, well, that doesn't happen. And Jonah gets unbelievably cross with God. Unbelievably cross with God. He shakes his proverbial fist at God and says, Is this not what I said while I was yet in my country? Is this not why I made haste to flee to Tarshish? Because I knew that you were gracious, God, and merciful, and that you were slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I knew that was what you were like. I knew that you would not judge Nineveh if they repented. Jonah is so cross with God that he says in verse 3, Lord, please take my life from me because it's better that I die than that I live. God rather lovingly says to this son, you uh, do you do well to be angry 
Jonah goes out from the city. He sits on the east side of the city. He makes a booth. He makes a little tent for himself there. And again, God demonstrates that he is sovereign over all things. He he appoints a uh, a plant which grows over Jonah, makes shade over Jonah. He appoints later uh, when Jonah falls asleep under the shade of the plant he appoints a worm which goes and eats the plant so that the plant dies and Jonah wakes up and he says why did you do this why did you kill the plant everything is just going wrong and God says to Jonah bottom line is um, you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night should I not pity Nineveh, this great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. The, The implication of, and that's where, by the way, the book of Jonah ends. It kind of ends on this statement of God, should I not have pitied Nineveh? This idea of 120,000 people not knowing their right hand from their left might indicate how many children there were in the city. It also might indicate uh, those who did not understand the difference between right and wrong, which ultimately when Jonah preached that message of damnation and as people came to repentance, they learned and turned to Yahweh, turned to the Lord for salvation. The bottom line is what we learn in the book of Jonah is that God saves men and that God is sovereign in the salvation of men. He's sovereign the whole way through the book and ultimately he saves the Ninevites because he is compassionate, he is merciful, he is steadfast in love and he is slow to anger. We have a great and glorious God who is sovereign in salvation like Jonah in the belly of the fish in chapter 2 verse 10 we should declare salvation belongs to the Lord and then with that knowledge we should go out into the world and do a better job of proclaiming the gospel than Jonah did (laughs) that that rubbish missionary (laughs) who just told people that they would be damned friends we need to declare the good news of the gospel and the good news of the gospel is this it's not that complex Jesus came into this world and he died in our place for our sins he is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world what a beautiful king we serve a king who came to redeem to set free his people Jesus died in our place he died in my place for my sins which are many and yet he did not count them against them instead he took them on himself he bore my sins on the cross what a glorious savior just like he bore your sins Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world that means that we can turn to Jesus and put our faith and our trust in his finished work on the cross it was a one-time sacrifice a sacrifice which has no need to be repeated Jesus died that we might live and not only did he die but our Lord and our Savior rose from the grave. He rose from the grave in victory over death, in victory over Satan, in victory over this world. Jesus Christ is bo- is living. Um, I'm reminded of the angels at his gravesite as men came to discover if he was there and the answer to them was, he is not here for he has risen. He is the first fruit of 
our salvation. He has risen from the grave. And because Jesus has risen from the grave, friends, we can have confidence that God can raise us from the grave. He can raise saints from all ages from the grave. He can rise us to life at the end of the age and present us as a bride before the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, who comes to receive his church at the consummation of all things. It is an exciting thought. It is a wondrous thought. It is a thought which should give you some hope for the future. And I'm not talking about the kind of hope that the world knows. I hope it doesn't rain tonight because it's getting colder and colder because it's winter in Gauteng. No, the kind of hope that Christians have is a certain hope. It's a hope which is not based on our own efforts or our own self-works, but on the sovereign awesomeness of a great savior who died for our sins and rose from the grave the call the universal call to all men is this friends turn away from your sin turn away from your love for this world in your mind turn from sin and turn to the cross of christ embrace jesus christ for who he is king of kings and lord of lords and your personal savior put your faith and your trust in him and you will live man i love fridays <laughs> and i love the gospel message the good news that jesus died for our sin for our sins uh, and I love testifying uh, to this hope that we have in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. I see some comments uh, coming in from various different places. Uh, from Natasha, a Hamark. It's great to have you with us, Natasha. Uh, from Michelle, an Amen and Amen. And from Inna, uh, thank you very much. I'm going to need to read the message carefully so that I translate it well <laughs> and I will do that a little bit later uh, thank you so much uh, for commenting and engaging in friends this morning is a questions and answers opportunity it is a opportunity for you to ask questions live on air let me tell you how you can do that you can drop a comment on facebook you can ask a bible question on facebook our facebook page is radio pulpit radio console you can uh, send in a voice note or a message on whatsapp or telegram our number is 0826572729 always do enjoy hearing your voice uh, through whatsapp messages uh, lastly you can dial into studio you can call in to 012-334-1322 if you missed all of those numbers uh, don't despair if you go to facebook and you go to either pastor mark penrith that's my facebook page you can go to central baptist church which is the church that i serves facebook page you can go to radio pulpit radio console uh, the show is currently being live streamed to all of those locations and uh, in the show notes i have and detailed exactly uh, the telephone number the studio number the Facebook details as well as WhatsApp and Telegram and even how you can tweet in uh, right now using the handle at 657 a.m. Uh, how are we doing for time? We've got about nine minutes before the top of the hour where we will go to a song break. And so let me use just uh, this time to encourage you, encourage you from Colossians, Colossians chapter two. I've been studying through 
the book of Colossians together with a group that meets on Wednesday evenings in Constantia Park. And uh, as we've been going through the book of Colossians, so encouraged by this book that the Apostle Paul wrote, so encouraged by the way that he views Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus has been sovereign and preeminent over all things. As you read through the book of Colossians, you get this picture that that Paul really understood Jesus to be the fullness of deity in human flesh. And in actual fact, that's what I want to encourage you with uh, just in a short period of time. Uh, if you had to open your Bible right now and you went to Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 and 10, you would get the statement, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Now, I, I, maybe in the the second half of the show we can put um, this particular verse into its context because really the context flows from chapter 1 verse 15 where we have this description or this Christological description of the preeminence of Jesus Christ but by the time you get to chapter 2 verse 9 um, Paul has made a call on the Colossian church to walk in Christ to live in Christ to peripateo which is the Greek word it sounds like peripateo <laughs> yeah, in Christ uh, that he does in verse 6 and he describes what that looks like in verse 7 to be rooted to be built up to be established to be abounding he then says listen yeah you need to be captivated by Christ rather than captivated by the things of this world and he says that in verse 8 it's quite a remarkable text see to it that no one and it's a command it's an imperative see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions according to elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ turn from this world and turn to Christ turn from the philosophies of this world and turn to the person of Jesus Christ but he kind of crescendos in verse 9 and 10 in these words. For in him, that's in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That means if you want to meet with God, you must meet with Jesus Christ. If you want to know where Jesus, uh, where God lives, find out where Jesus lives. If you want to come to the person of God, you must go through the person of Jesus Christ. Because the whole fullness of deity dwells in in him in bodily form Jesus is God concentrated manifest incarnated in human flesh it is a most staggering thought and then he says <laughs> I mean this just floors me in verse 10 and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority this is what he's saying Jesus is God the whole fullness of Deity dwells in him. And guess what? Jesus Christ has filled you. Friend, if you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, he makes this promise in Matthew chapter 28, the last verse. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. We are filled. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, we are filled with Jesus Christ at the point of salvation. It is the most remarkable thing. God is with us. God is with us. If you've believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, maybe even as you listen into radio this morning, as you stream the show this morning, as you listen on a podcast this morning or whenever you are listening it, you might be going through very, very troubled waters. Be not dismayed. 
your captain and your king, your master and commander, the savior of your soul is with you. He has fooled you. He is with you. Friend, turn away from sin and embrace the person of Jesus Christ if you have not yet already. Because God says that he will presence himself in you and he will live out through you and he will glorify himself in and through you. It is a most marvelous thought. The promises of Christ and this wonderful reality that Paul speaks about in Colossians chapter 2 verse 10 that you have been filled in him. Maybe just to say that this word filled, um, as I'm looking at my notes right now, uh, is in the perfect tense. Uh, it, it means that it is a, an, an event which happened in the past once off. It need not be repeated again. It reminds me of the words of Jesus Christ on the cross as he declared, It is finished. It was in the perfect tense that he said those glorious words as he had paid the price that our sin demanded. As he said, it is finished. It truly was. It was a once-off event which was completed. No more need for it to be repeated into the future. A perfect tense verb. Well, perfect tense here as well. It says, for in him, that's Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells. That is a present active indicative. It's a statement of fact. In other words, it's happening right now. It's active. Um, it, it, it is active that the whole fullness of deity is presently dwelling in the person of Jesus Christ bodily. And you have been, uh, that might sound like a past tense event but it's actually also a present active indicative it's something which is true of us right now filled it has happened once off need not happen again we have been filled with the person of jesus christ now we can talk about the filling of the spirit that is something which is an ongoing process um i don't think that that's what paul has in mind here what paul has in mind here is the point of justification the point that we placed our faith and our trust in jesus christ at that moment we were sealed to the day of redemption at that moment as a deposit the holy spirit was given to us we were baptized one lord one faith one baptism the idea of being immersed into jesus christ which is really what paul goes on to describe in chapter 2 verse 11 to 15 also immensely exciting passage of scripture maybe just to close off this hour michelle says what a wonderful wonderful life to have jesus every day is a closer walk with him very true michelle and uh, that idea of union with christ is what we will pick up and um, thank you for introducing it that we will pick up in the second half of the show we do have questions that have come in from Teresa. we have comments that have come in from natasha and i've no doubt that after you've been listening for the last hour you might have a question which you want to pose to me we will do so after the break in the meantime just as we come to the top of the hour as we get ready uh, to listen to um, a song and hear some adverts uh, let me remind you how you can engage with us this morning you can engage with us on whatsapp and telegram on the telephone number 082-657-2729 you can phone into studio on the number 012-334-1329 
0891-104-222. And you can drop a comment or a question on Facebook. We are currently live streaming to uh, Radio Pulpit Radio Console. We are looking forward to engaging with you. Uh, in the meantime, we will be listening uh, to today. As for me and my house by Stas, stay tuned for the second hour of the show. God. Well, friends, it is so good to be with you on Friday. I I love Fridays. I really do. I love Friday mornings. I get to start off Friday mornings with a prayer meeting at church. Uh, I meet with about uh, nine uh, staff and interns, and we pray for uh, Sunday's uh, uh, services that are to come. We pray for churches in our city. We pray for the needs of our local church. Um, it's always a great way to start off a Friday morning. And then, uh, you know, the radio pulpit show from 9 o'clock until 11 o'clock. I love going through the kinds of questions that people ask. And I love opening God's Word and finding out how God speaks to us uh, in the midst of all the kinds of questions that we have. Now, Teresa, I see. Teresa is a long-time listener. Teresa sends in three questions every week. And I hope that he kind of expects me to one and answer it he sent in three stumpers this week they really really are great Teresa I'm probably going to go with your last question Um, even though it's contentious the other two I actually have to wrap my mind around so I'll write those down and give them some thought I do want to uh, acknowledge comments from Joey from Barbara from Beverly from Michelle Uh, maybe to read one or two out Joey says good morning I am enjoying your Sunday morning morning sermons on Radio Pulpit. But would you please mention the preacher's names? Thank you. Joey, thank you so much uh, for that encouraging message. I really appreciate it. Um, it is true. The sermons from Central Baptist Church Pretoria are, are go out live on Radio Pulpit in the mornings, on Sunday mornings. Um, I'm fairly certain that that happens at about 9 o'clock, on the half past 8, 9 o'clock. And then they are made subsequently available on rono.fm or wherever you pay pick up good podcasts uh, and you can look for the Sunday sermon um, there is a, a picture of a, a cross it's on a gray background there's some red uh, in the photo and in the middle it says faith you can see a it's gray there's a cross it's got like a, a circular um, uh, 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 print uh, that's in red and the word faith is in the morning uh, in the middle in the morning <laughs> in the middle and it says Sunday sermon you can get that uh, on podcast from rono.fm and Joey uh, the preachers are the preachers of Central Baptist Church in Pretoria that would be the elders there are 12 elders all of which are able to preach and from time to time do preach. Uh, the two anchor preachers for morning services are Charles de Kivett, who has been pastoring Central Baptist Church Pretoria for 20 to 25 years. Um, he is a faithful expositor of God's Word. He's currently working through a fascinating series in the book of Exodus. He has brought the church to Exodus chapter 19. They are standing at the base of Mount Sinai and they are about to receive the Mosaic Law. Um, 
I was chatting to Charles yesterday about where he's going to take this. Is he going to preach each one of the Ten Commandments one at a time and go through them? Uh, he's done that in the past and he certainly uh, could do that. Is he going to take them as a unit? Is he going to take them in two units? Maybe the laws that apply to God, um, vertical laws and the laws that apply to man, uh, horizontal laws. Uh, I was uh, super excited to hear the answer and he said, I'm still deciding. <laughs> so Charles DeKivert is an anchor preacher in the morning on the Sunday uh, sermon, uh, which goes out on Sunday mornings on Radio Pulpit at uh, uh, I'm gonna go. Uh, l- let me let me take a stab at the time. I, I I can see I'm I'm actually opening it up here, and I think that they are um, they are made live at nine o'clock. I'm gonna uh, at eight o'clock. So eight a.m. the Sunday sermons go out, uh, and then I'm the other anchor preacher. Um, uh, there's multiple campuses. I'll preach at one campus. Charles will preach at another, and then we swap over. And so my name is Mark Penrith. I've been at Pretoria Central uh, since January since. The the 1st of January I started preaching at Pretoria Central I'm loving being at the church right now I do want to go across to a caller a person who called into our studio line um, his name is John and he is phoning in from Cape Town John it's so good to have you with us this morning hi John are you with us Ah, it looks like we have dropped the line. I think our technical guys will see. Um, oh, John, I've got a note here to say that the number that the caller gave uh, is not going through. So maybe if you just phone in, uh, Mpo is at the ready, standing by to take your call. He'll get your number. We'll phone you back. We'll give that another shot. Um, um, but to say thank you for calling in. John, of course, called into the studio line. The number is 12 Two two. Uh, in case you need that again, John. Oh one two three three four one three two two. Looking forward to other folk uh, phoning in and chatting or sending in WhatsApps, uh, Telegrams, or uh, commenting on Facebook. Barbara says, uh, "Morning, Amen." Thanks, Mark. Uh, and then just says Barbara, but I, I got that. Thanks, Barbara. She came in via WhatsApp. Um, I see a number of other people. Uh, Teresa says the sermons from CBC play at eight. Thanks, Teresa. <laughs> Appreciate that, brother. Um, Teresa attends a church in Benoni, and uh, I would have thought that you would be in church most Sundays by eight o'clock because I know that he serves there. <laughs> but thank you, brother, for correcting me on that. The 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 sermons from Central Baptist Church Pretoria play at eight o'clock. Uh, thank you for uh, for that correction, Teresa. Um, Michelle says, uh, thank you for the insightful word. I'm learning at becoming stronger and more assured follower of Jesus Christ. Yeah, assurance of salvation. Such a, a joyful uh, doctrine. Such a joyful doctrine. I'm, I'm sure we can talk about that a little bit later, uh, Michelle. Uh, Lester says, Mark, the service goes out between 8 and 9. Thank you, Lester. It's, it turns out lots of people know <laughs> when the service goes out. Um, I, I, I really do appreciate the corrections. Great. Um, the, the, uh, uh, guys, uh, re- really do appreciate all the interactions. We do have John back on the line. John uh, from Cape Town, thank you for joining us. Yeah, Pastor Mark. Yes, brother. How are you? I'm well, thank you, and it's good to hear your voice. <laughs> yeah, thank you for the book, eh? Thank you for the book you sent me. Great, I'm glad that you got it. Now, which book? Because uh, yeah. we give out quite a few books. Which book did you get? Oh, my church order, man. Church by the deacons and the yes. Deacons. Oh, the the book written by Conrad and Bewe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, he's oh, a yeah. good man. Good, good book as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, this 
Pastor, I just want to ask you some quest- two questions that I won't be long. Okay. Uh, the, fir- the first one, you know when Moses went to the Red Sea? Yeah. Now they normally uh, compare it with water baptism. But now my question is, Moses went to the Red Sea on dry ground. Yeah? Yeah. But the Egyptians... The Egyptians were submerged in water. Now, how do you, how do you explain that? That's a well, that's an excellent question, yeah. John. Okay, I'll... I'll now, the, now, now, the other question is, uh, did God choose somebody... Uh, can I say, did, did God previously let people to go to hell? Did God previously choose people to go to hell yeah, yeah I mean sure, yeah, chose, chose people God to go that he was going to hell that he was not going to hell ah uh, that's th- those are two excellent questions John and uh, I think I think that the the one flows out of the discussion regarding election that we had previously um, I really appreciate both those discussions are you going to listen on air while I while I answer them uh-huh. Okay, Pastor. Thank you so much. Eh? Uh, thank, thanks for the que- thanks for the questions, uh, John. I really okay. appreciate it. Well, okay, Pastor. Well, friends, as we as we come to John's questions, uh, we need to go to Scripture. I think we can ground the first question quite well in Scripture. Um, in one Corinthians chapter ten, in one Corinthians chapter ten, uh, we read the following from verse one. It says, "For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers." That our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, as we read that passage of Scripture, in verse 2, we see the word baptized. Uh, we see that they were all baptized into Moses. Now, there's a second verse that we might go to in terms of establishing this idea of baptism and bringing it close to Moses. Um, and we will go and take a look at that at, in the book of Peter as well. But let me address these two passages one at a time the first one is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 2 let me say right up front and this is very important the word baptism doesn't always mean baptism in water by full immersion as a believer now I'm a Baptist right so I get all excited when we use the word um, baptism or baptized Uh, I I, I really quickly want to go to this idea of water and baptism but I must acknowledge that the word gets used in different ways in different scriptures that's because the word baptizo which is in Greek baptizo actually has a meaning and it doesn't always mean baptism. Quite literally, the word means immerse. It means uh, immersion. And so when we say um, that we were, for instance, in Romans chapter 6, baptized with Christ, really what Paul is saying is we were immersed with Christ. We were immersed with him. We were buried with him. We are raised with him. It's picturing water baptism, but it's not 
talking about water baptism it's talking about the point of salvation in that in that instance where we were immersed with the person of Jesus Christ well the word baptizo in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 2 has that same sense about it and they were all baptized not by water into Moses but they were all baptized as in the sense they were immersed into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and so uh, yeah the idea of baptism isn't speaking about water baptism the idea of baptism is speaking about immersion and by the way a good understanding of that word being baptism is immersion is helpful in that it under it helps us to understand what the mode of baptism actually is that it is the full immersion of a believer uh, into a body of water in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit bringing together a number of biblical teachings on the idea of baptism now I did say that this idea of baptism appears in more than one place in scripture and so let me take you to the other place briefly before we get to the second question that Peter posed uh, that Peter posed that John posed I'm getting my disciples mixed up the guy that phoned in was John not Peter that John posed so in 1 Peter chapter 3 we have a discussion um, a discussion that uh, revolves um, first around um, uh, husbands and wives in 1 Peter chapter 3 up to verse 7 and then a change in gear in terms of what Peter is talking about into suffering for righteousness's sake suffering for righteousness's sake now it's in within that context that we read the following from verse 18 for Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but being made alive in the spirit lots of lots of bridges to the conversation that we were having in terms of our unity with Christ uh, in the previous hour of the show verse 19 in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few that is eight persons were brought safely through water Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now again we have the word baptizo, uh, this word baptism in verse 21 of 1 Peter chapter 3. And right off the bat let me say that there are uh, different ways that this particular passage, that this particular verse and the particular use of baptism um, uh, uh, can be made. Yeah different interpretations one interpretation is again that baptism here is talking of immersion the idea of being immersed into Christ so just like Noah and the ark um, were saved so we are saved immersion we are immersed 
with Christ. Another possible interpretation of verse 21 is that baptism here is talking about water baptism, uh, not in the idea of a, a, in a salvic sense, um, but rather in the sense that uh, baptism uh, washes away our sin. It is an external representation of something which has ha- which has happened internally. Um, the bottom line is, as we read this passage, uh, we do know that uh, those uh, who believe that baptism is a work which is required for salvation, which is a third way that this could be interpreted, um, uh, uh, would appeal to this passage, um, saying that Peter was saying that the act of being baptized itself is the last step of our salvation. However, we don't have to guess uh, what Peter means in this verse because he he literally clarifies the phrase for us. He says that this is not about the removal of death, uh, of dirt from the flesh. In other words, this isn't about the external act. This isn't about uh, about water. This is rather an appeal to God for a good conscience. Um, Peter is connecting baptism uh, with salvation, but it's not the act of being baptized that he's referring to. Um, he's talking about uh, about um, immersion in the person of Jesus Christ, this, this final act of the removal of our sins. John, really, really good question um, regarding baptism and Moses. I think the passage that you are most likely referring to was 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which we dealt with first. Um, You may have also uh, come across 1 Peter chapter 3. I hope that the answer uh, satisfies you, that baptism in both those cases is speaking about immersion and that immersion is not into water but rather into the person of Jesus Christ. You had a second question uh, which I want to raise. I'm not 100% sure if we've got somebody on the line uh, that's waiting for us. Uh, Mpo? Uh, Mpo is busy checking. I don't think we've got anyone on the line right now. Um, But the second question was was if God elected if he if he chose people even from the foundation of the world does that mean that he elected people both um, to salvation as well as to damnation now the 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 reality is that um, this particular doctrine that we're talking about would be the doctrine of predestination, this idea or belief that God creates some people with the purpose um, of bringing them into existence only to be sent to hell. And the question is, is is this a biblical idea? Well, God is righteous. Let me say that right up front. God is righteous. He is separated from sin and from sinners. And so on the one hand, we must acknowledge that all of those who are not righteous, who have not received the righteousness of Jesus Christ to cover them, <laughs> to immerse them, to baptize them uh, into righteousness. All those ultimately um, are under condemnation. Uh, this morning I happened to be reading John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, of course, we've got that great statement uh, of gospel proclamation in verse 16, where it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life we've got this idea of 
perish uh, in John 3.16. But John 3.36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This idea of all those who are not in Christ, all those who have not been saved, ultimately are on currently um, a highway to hell, a road to destruction. They are heading to a sure and certain end, and that end is their doom. Except for the person of Jesus Christ, they have absolutely no hope. Now, as we read through scriptures, we find that this truth is spoken about in so many places. This idea of wrath and this idea of judgment and this idea of doom. Um, We also read um, passages such as Romans chapter 9 verse 22, which says, What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of wrath prepared for destruction. Uh, This is in the context of God being sovereign. Uh, God, the potter, being sovereign over the clay. That's us. That's that's his vessels. Um, In the next verse, uh, verse 23, we go on to read that he did so in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory and you'll notice here that God elects certain people beforehand for his glory in other words before the foundation of the world God chose certain people to be his children in order that he would be glorified in and through them But it does not say explicitly that God chose people for damnation or predestined people for wrath. Rather, it is true to say that all men are headed for certain destruction. Um, and this is this will be their inevitable fate, except for this great and glorious truth. God, before the foundation of the world, elected certain men to put their faith and trust in him. Friends, the fact that God elects does not in any way mitigate this corresponding truth that all men everywhere are called upon to acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Not only has God sovereignly determined who will be saved, but he has also sovereignly determined the means by which man will be saved. The proclamation of his word, the, the giving of a universal call to all men to repent and put their faith and trust in him. The 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 acknowledgement both with the lips and in the hearts of men that Jesus Christ is Lord of all that he is risen from the grave the call on each and every one of us in response to the gospel message is to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ that we might live I think Teresa before we come to your question and the answer related to tongues I believe we have one caller that is currently standing by to come on air. Uh, caller, it's good to have you with us this morning. Yes, uh, I, I heard Pastor... Ma- I can hear you fine now. Hello? Yes, hi there. Who am I speaking to? It's, uh, it's John from Joburg. I've uh, called in... Hey, John! Often, once, <laughs> I'm very well. It's good to have you with us. Thank you so much for calling in this morning. Thank you. Look, I've got a quick question. Uh, sure. I hope it's not too complicated, but I'd just love to get your opinion on it. And it basically, just the question is, what exactly is the kingdom of God? If we, if we read a scripture where uh, mm. Jesus 
when he when he comes to earth and he says, "Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand." Yes. And Scripture also talks about uh, for sinners, certain you know certain kinds of sin and, and lifestyles will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is the kingdom of God an inheritance that we receive here on earth right now, or is the kingdom of God referred to in Scripture as paradise with God one day? Hmm. That's a great question. I mean, it comes up often as we're reading through the Gospels and through the New Testament. To be honest with you, it is an incredibly complex answer. So uh, on my shelf, I have a a very thick book titled The Kingdom of God, and it's an investigation into the use of both the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And and it it ends up being a relatively complex answer. But I I can distill it uh, in some ways into a simple, into a simplish answer um, but but to your original question John I have to say that the answer is yes and not yet <laughs> so, okay. so a definition a, a relatively simple definition which I've adopted for the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is the reign and the rule of God the sovereign reign and rule of God um, which is um, which is in the hearts of man and is being made manifest in the world in increasing measure and ultimately in consummation of all things will be made absolute the kingdom of God will be synonymous with all things but the kingdom of God in some ways is immediate the kingdom of God is at hand Jesus was obviously speaking of himself he was indicating himself and he was indicating the salvation which he was making available to the people that were hearing him he was going everywhere declaring that people must repent for the kingdom of God is at hand salvation was right there it was right in front of them so in some ways the kingdom of God is salvation in other ways the kingdom of God is all the benefits that believers experience um, upon salvation Uh, we experience the reign and rule of Christ in our hearts in the first hour of the show we're talking about Jesus Christ's promise as he said go into the world and make disciples of all men baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've given you and behold beholdeth maybe in the King James and behold I will be with you always even to the end of the age this idea that that Jesus establishes his kingdom and his reign and his rule in the hearts of his people and that is obviously then manifest further both in the universal church and in the extension of the universal church as well as in the manifestation of the universal church in each local church uh, as the church um, in some ways um, brings the kingdom into this world. I'm you know, thinking now of Christ's prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's something that, that, is, that is so natural to pray to God. Um, but in reality, we see that given expression uh, in the church as the church advances, the church militant through all ages. But the, king of, the kingdom of God will have its ultimate expression. Uh, in terms of a worldly expression in a kingdom which Jesus Christ will set up at his second coming. We can read all about... uh, uh, John, I I mean... Like even though this might sound like a relatively complex answer, it's actually. I'm just trying to give you some biblical theology in order to answer the question. But 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 you are right in saying that it is complex. That one needs to go away and and make a great study of this, and it will be a very encouraging study. Um, but maybe just to 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 reference the kingdom of God in the book of Revelation. I mean, Revelation is a mess, right? (laughs) You have you have these seven letters to seven churches at the beginning of the letter, and then 
then you have the absence of the church through the book of Revelation. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I'm going to nail my colors to the mast and say that um, that I would see this as being uh, a, a tribulation um, a letter, a letter which is describing a literal tribulation. And the reason why the church isn't referenced the whole way through the letter is because the church isn't in the picture. It was pre-tribulation raptured out. And now I'm going to get 10 questions about the rapture. Thanks for that, John. Um, but, but the point is... Um, and where things get really exciting is that the king returns at the end of the book of Revelation. It's it's kind of like, you know, to borrow Tolkien's book's title, uh, the book of Revelation is really about the return of the king. It's about the return of, of King Jesus. And he comes on a white throne and he has a, a, a sword and on the hilt of the sword are the words King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he, he has a robe, a white robe, which is dipped in blood. And he, he comes and, and all of his uh, um um, enemies they fold before him because he is the conquering king king jesus has arrived and then in chapter 20 he sets up a kingdom now uh, chapter 20 lots of opinion in terms of how it kind of rolls out eschatologically um, I would take the opinion that the tribulation is now over and that a millennial kingdom a thousand year reign is established on earth it is a literal kingdom and it has a literal king it's Jesus Christ he is the consummation of hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament which talk about Zion being established and the nations of the world coming and glorifying the king who is established on the throne of David. I'd see that as being the person of Jesus Christ in a millennial kingdom described in Revelation chapter 20. But obviously we've got more conversation in terms of what that kingdom looks like and that kingdom is described, I think of books like Zephaniah. I'm trying to remember if Zephaniah's got two or four chapters I'm going to go with four chapters and in the fourth chapter of Zephaniah a description of this millennial kingdom and the king uh, on his throne it's a glorious thought uh, Habakkuk uh, the book of Habakkuk um, you know uh, tribulation is going to come upon Israel there's going to be uh, the judgment by the Assyrians and then the Assyrians are going to be overthrown by the Babylonians it's going to be terrible but there will be an establishment of a kingdom um, Habakkuk sees that Isaiah you know this this servant psalms uh, songs in Isaiah uh, so, uh, Psalm Isaiah 53 um, and as you get to the end you, you, you see the the king is enthroned and the nations of the world come and glorify him just over and over in the Old Testament pointers to Revelation chapter 20 a kingdom established and then and then just after that, after a defeat of Satan and a judgment uh, before a great white throne, a final judgment of all men, a new heaven and a new earth and an eternal kingdom, uh, a, a paradise, a heavenly glory where God will be worshipped forever and ever. Now, in response to all of that, whether you agree with me theologically in terms of being a pre-tribulational, pre-rapture uh, dispensationalist, uh, you can disagree with all of that. But where we can agree is our response to this doctrine of kingdom as it is as it unfolds biblically through both the Old and the New Testament is with with all of the saints through all the ages we get to the end and we say maranatha come lord jesus come come and establish your throne come and establish your kingdom our hearts 
long for your rule and for your reign. I'm just going to hit pause. And John, uh, I really enjoy engaging with you. I, I don't know if you have anything else that you want to say or comments that you want to make. Could I just ask one, one <laughs> sort of add-on? Yeah, 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 sure, should go be ahead. A quick one. Yeah. So, so in, in uh, it's one Corinthians, uh, one Corinthians when Paul speaking about neither so neither idolaters nor fornicators, and he mentions all of them will inherit the kingdom of God. Is he is he basically saying that those those whose hope and trust is in Jesus Christ, yet those who live lifestyles that do not, well, you know what he what he specifies yeah. there, those people won't actually rule and reign, but they'll still basically make it if, in, in a sense. Is, is that what he's trying to say? Mm. John, that is a very uh, nuanced question. Excellent question. Let me read the text. It's it's one Corinthians chapter six. It's been instrumental in my own life in terms of dealing with sin. Um, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 and following. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous, so whatever the answer is going to be, John, I'm going to, I'm going to really rest on that word unrighteous, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul goes on to say to the Corinthians, Do not be deceived. And now he describes the works of the unrighteous, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And now he says in the past tense, and he's speaking directly to the Corinthian Christians, and such were, past tense, some of you, but you were washed. And now we get to that whole kind mm-hmm. of picture of baptism that we've been speaking about quite a lot, this idea of immersion, yeah. but not a wet baptism, a dry baptism. You were washed. You were sanctified, set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So the way that I've always taken the interpretation of those three verses is like this, John. Um, he's saying he's describing the works of unrighteousness. In other words, the works of of those who are not saved and he details he lists them out in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and he gets to the end and he says listen yeah you can't live like that you guys yeah. used to be like that but now you've been washed you've been set apart you've been sanctified you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of God and so what he's saying is uh, and it's true those who are unrighteous those who have not placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior those who have not experienced the washing the regeneration of the Holy Spirit those who are still in darkness and have not been brought into the kingdom of light those whose deeds basically point to the fact that they are unrighteous before God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter where they are. The reality is they will be excluded from the kingdom. You cannot be saved in any other way but through the person of Jesus Christ. And when you're saved by Christ, you're not just... You don't just accept him as savior, but you accept him as Lord. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the king of a kingdom. You move into a new kingdom and you are your, your whole life is personified by a different set of values. I mean, obviously now my mind 
you know, skips across to Galatians chapter 5. Everyone's pretty familiar with the fruit of the Spirit. But before that, we have the deeds of the flesh. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, Paul says. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. The works of unrighteousness are evident. The works of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God are evident. And he lists them out. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. In other words, even stuff I haven't said, everything which is unrighteous. Those are the deeds of the flesh. You need to run away from these things. I warn you, as I warn you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Same same word, same thought, same idea. But yeah. the fruit, in contrast, the fruit of the Spirit, you know, to the Corinthians, he said, and such were some of you, but you've been washed, <laughs> you've been sanctified, you've been justified by Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. To the Galatians, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then he talks yeah. about living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, peripateoing in the Spirit. John, does that, does that answer your question? It does. I think it just opens a whole lot of other questions as well, which is awesome. <laughs> but I really, I really appreciate the time you took to answer that. It really is helpful. Oh man, isn't the Bible amazing, though? I, I mean, yes. it, it is. It's just a, it's just such an incredible book. I, I'm going to actually get the title because, John, I, I think you're the kind of person who actually might really value. Um, reading a book that I have on my shelf you can either if you're ever in Pretoria you can stop by my bookshelf I will I will grant you um, a book uh, it's called I'm fairly sure it's called the kingdom the kingdom of God uh, uh, that's the name that rings a bell if there's any pastor friends that are listening in maybe you can uh, maybe you can uh, uh, give the name um, I, 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 I will I will look for it on my shelf John and uh, I, I, if you just send in a whatsapp uh, to the station now I'll take your number down and I'll send you the name of the book and uh, if you're ever in Pretoria you can come and pick up my copy I'll grant that to you yeah. with joy Thanks. Sounds good. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Cool. Great stuff. God bless you, brother. Cheers. Yeah, you too. Keep up. Bye. Guys, as we've been talking, a number of people have been writing in. I, guys, I hope that you have been enjoying the engagement this morning, the questions and the answers that we've been speaking about. Um, I'm trying to keep up with all the questions. I'm sorry. Some of these some of these answers have been a little bit slower. Um, Beverly says, currently much uh, uh, vitriol against our government and having discussed some of the posts and videos with a Christian friend, we both agree to live by the biblical instructions of 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 17 and 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 and 2. However, the toffee is that the evil I guess the toffee means that you're chewing on it <laughs> that's got a nice turn of phrase Beverly is that the evil leaves us dumbfolded as to how to pray for our leaders and government other than for their salvation repentance and turning Beverly what an excellent question I really appreciate that thank you so much um uh, Beverly, I'm going to distill your question down to how to pray for your leaders and for the government. Um, and I am actually going to give you a tool for praying for your leaders and the government, a tool that I've used and a tool that I've found 
most helpful. Let, let me start off by giving you a scripture. Um, obviously, the scripture you've already referred to is 1 Timothy chapter 2. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, it's in the context of prayer. Um, Paul says to Timothy, his son, that right up front, first of all, I urge that supplications, that's asking prayers, prayers and intercessions, uh, as well as thanksgivings, be made for all people. And then he gives an example of all people. He distills it down to a certain type of people for kings and all those who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And he gives a reason as to why we should pray for kings and for those who are in authority. He says, because this is good and that it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who doesn't want to please Jesus Christ, our Savior and our God, who desires all people to be display, uh, to be displayed, to be saved <laughs> and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, we pray for our kings and it's right that you pray for our government it's right that you pray for our president it's right that you pray for those in his cabinet and for those in parliament and for those in local government and for our ward councillor I live in ward 90 or I, I, I serve a church in ward 92 I found out the name of my ward councillor I contacted her during last week or the week before and told her that she was in my prayers but it's right Beverly that we pray for their salvation for their repentance and for their turning but don't lose sight of one to Timothy chapter 2's reason that is given for why we make these prayers. We pray for these things so that we might be able to live quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. Because ultimately, we recognize that the gospel will then go out impeded. That's verse 3 and 4. And um, because God desires that all people uh, might be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Uh, the bottom line is, it pleases God that we pray for kings and those that are in authority, in our case, our president. It pleases God that we pray for these things because we want to live in a country where the gospel can be heralded unimpeded. Now, I told you I'd do two things. One is take you to the scripture. I've taken you to the scripture and given you a nuance that wasn't in your original question. But let me also give you a tool. And the tool is this. It's it's Matthew Henry Dot org. I'm fairly certain. I'm just going there myself. Dot org. Matthew Henry. Dot org. I'm hoping it's dot org and it's not something else. Matthew Henry. Dot org. Yes, it is. <laughs> well done, Mark, for your memory's sake. Um, if you go to Matthew Henry. Dot org, um, Matthew Henry was a Puritan writer. He wrote a, a very well-known commentary. In fact, you know most kind of. Uh, our kind of Christians would have a Matthew Henry commentary on their cell phone or uh, maybe a, a published commentary on a bookshelf somewhere. It's a very popular commentary and, and it's a, it's just an excellent devotional commentary. At times, um, it's been in my top five favorite books of all time. A very, very helpful read. But over the last couple of years, I found Matthew Henry's work on prayer even more helpful than his commentary. And this particular website, MatthewHenry.org, if you go to MatthewHenry.org, um, you can go to resources. And under resources, you can go to resources um, for public prayer. If you had to click on it, ah, can you believe? I think I just, uh, uh, my internet just dropped uh yeah it comes back um there are pastoral prayers there are marriage prayers there are funeral prayers you can submit a prayer it absolutely took us to the wrong place um on the far left hand corner at the top it says read now 
and there are prayers on adoration, prayers on confession, prayers of petition, that's asking, prayers of thanksgiving, intercession, there are conclusionary prayers, Lord's Prayer, occasional addresses, short forms of prayer. Uh, I'm going to, because I'm doing this live, so I hope I go to the right place, I'm going to click on petition, it might be under intercession, but I'm going to click on petition, and under petition it brings up a whole list of prayers, and as you go through that list, um, you will see um, number 3.26 are prayers uh, for grace to govern your tongue that's not exactly what I was looking for um, so let's check under intercession prayers of intercession um, I'm hoping it's there um, if it's not there I'm just going to have to point you to the resource being matthewhenry.org no it definitely is there um, it's 5.13 it's prayers for your head of state if you had to click on that link it will tell you, it will give you a number of scriptures that you can use to pray for your head of state. That would be, in our case, um, our president, Cyril Ramaphosa, um, to give uh, him justice, that he might serve in righteousness, that he might defend the cause of the poor, um, that he might deliver the children of the needy, that his rule might be established with righteousness, that it might be upheld in steadfast love, uh, that he might be glad in the presence of God, that his enemies might be clothed in shame, um, that he might continue a long uh, to father um, uh, the land. Uh, there are a number of scriptures which are given for each one of those statements um, so that you can pray for the head of state with a degree of nuance. Um, after that, there's prayers for safe and righteous continuation of civil government. Uh, these were prayers that I certainly raised up and prayed during the riots as they were happening in KwaZulu-Natal. Um, so for example, Psalm 132 verse 17 says, um, uh, preserve the lamp that you have prepared for your anointed that the next generation may know you uh, we can pray that uh, there would be stability in our land that uh, from children even the unborn children that they might be able to set their hope in the Lord and keep his commands that's from Psalm 78 verse 6 and 7 um, and then that the gospel believing church might faithfully proclaim praises to your name in our country that our cities might be established that uh, our leader um, might be established um, that our eyes as a nation might be set on Jerusalem bottom line is there, there are prayers uh, following uh, under section 5.15 for those who are involved uh, and uh, in public affairs there's prayers for judges and judicial rulers there's prayers for the ministers of God in the country prayers for educational institutions and for the citizens just for the common citizens in our nation um, there's prayers for the young and the old and the rich and the poor uh, the bottom line is there are a number of scriptures that that can take you to places where you can have more nuanced prayers for South Africa I think sometimes our prayers for South Africa are just you know spare us from evil and and uh, either either wipe out those who stand opposed to you or you know save those who are currently in power but i think we can we can pray more nuanced prayers because we find more nuanced prayers for civil institutions and um, throughout the bible the way that i kind of think through that biblically is i go to matthewhenry.org and i click on the 
the menu system read now i go down to intercession and under intercession you will find a number of prayers that you can pray folk i can't believe that we are running out of time and they are just i mean there's so much stuff that we're not going to get to um uh, there's just so much stuff that we're not going to get to i at least want to mention those who are who are speaking in um uh, lester uh inner um uh uh, uh, uh willem uh stoffel uh jacqueline um uh, Hannah Lamolo, who has a voice note, I, I don't, I don't know if we're going to get to that because I did say that we'd get to Teresa's question. Uh, Victoria, um, Miller, uh, John, thank you so much for all the questions, uh, folk. And uh, we will start off next week's show with some of the questions that we can't get to uh, in this week's show. Uh, what we have remaining time for, I see eight minutes, and we're going to be under time pressure anyway in order to um, answer Teresa's question. Teresa asked three questions. Teresa, I'm going straight to the third question, brother, and I'll read it live on air. Prayer seems to be the same from both the Old to the New Testament. How can one better explain to others that praying in tongues does not match how prayer is taught and seen in Scripture? Okay, very interesting question, Teresa. I would imagine that those who pray in tongues if they are praying in languages known to men would be praying prayers in in Japanese and in Taiwanese and in Mandarin and in German and in Swahili in languages which they don't know but which they are miraculously given and they would be praying prayers very similar to what we pray uh, in languages that we know but I assume that when you ask the question you're talking about people who are are saying that they're speaking languages but these languages aren't known to anyone and don't actually assemble into the way that we understand languages in our day and age and the question is how can you explain to them that that praying tongues doesn't match how prayer is taught and seen in scripture well the only way that you can do that is by appealing to scripture Teresa um uh, the only way you can do that is by appealing to scripture and the two scriptures that I would I would say that you should appeal to the two primary texts that deal with tongues in a substantive way that can help you to open a conversation with people that you love with believers that you love but that are praying in a way that um, you don't see as being biblical is by going to first acts chapter 2 and then 1 corinthians chapter 14 so acts chapter 2 um uh, we don't have time to read the entire chapter um but the first I'm going to go with 14 verses deal with tongues and it is very clear in those verses you don't even have to read it twice but you might if it's new to you um, the the tongues that are spoken about there are languages known to men they are Medes and Mesopotamians and people from Creole and uh, Arabians and folk from Rome and citizens from all over the Roman Empire and they are gathered in Jerusalem and they hear the great and glorious works of God being spoken about in languages that they understand that's the miracle <laughs> that's what creates the awe and the wonder in their hearts and in their minds as they marvel on the day of Pentecost at the Holy Spirit as he has been poured out on his people they are declaring the great and glorious works of God in a miraculous way in languages that they don't understand um, and so I, I would start off by just appealing to the reality um, uh, certainly um, the, uh, as I understand it from Acts chapter 2 that tongues are languages known to men 
The second passage of scripture that you would then take folk to is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 14. I don't know if we're going to have time to deal with 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in a substantive way, but maybe just to appeal to a couple of ideas. First of all, um, verse 1 to verse 5 is just really saying that prophecy is far more important than tongues because prophecy is an edifying, it, it builds up the church. Um, unless someone interprets a tongue, again, the understanding is that the tongue is a language known to man and there's someone around that can interpret it so that the church can be built up. You can read about that in verse 5. Verse 6 is so important. Uh, verse 6 uh, through to verse 12. Um, Paul basically says, listen, yeah, what's the good of a tongue if you don't understand it? Um, and he gives a number of examples. He, he first speaks in verse 7 about lifeless instruments like a flute and a harp. If they don't give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's being played? In other words, you need to understand what's being played if it makes any sense. He goes on in verse 8 and says a bugle, uh, the idea of being in war, and the bugle goes out and this makes a distinct sound who's going to get ready for battle in other words it needs to be understood verse 9 um, so with yourselves if you if you if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible how will anyone know what is said it actually doesn't get any more clear than that um brother i would appeal to 1 corinthians chapter 14 look the the chapter uh, contains a lot more there's a lot more detail that's there maybe it's something that we can get into next week um but paul says for himself um uh, as we get to the end of uh, verse 11 and 12 if I don't know the meaning of a language I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker will be a foreigner to me so with yourselves since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit um, strive to excel in building up the church and, and then he basically says friends if, if I'm going to speak in a tongue let me rather say um, uh, one word that makes sense than 10,000 words that nobody understands <laughs> that's what a bottom line comes down to now go away and examine scripture see if what i've said is true you can find what i've said in acts chapter 2 and in 1 corinthians chapter 14 and friends come back next week and ask me all your questions that you want to to your heart's content about those two chapters i am looking forward to engaging with you each week as we come to an end of the program, our prayers go out to elders and to deacons who hold the line in local churches. Praise the Lord for them, as well as to missionaries of our local churches who serve in foreign fields and um, presenting the gospel to um, people on foreign fields. We pray each week for members of civil government. Um, I, I pray for first responders, for the police, for those who are in our defense force, for those who dispense justice in our country for for firefighters and for paramedics and for our nation's nurses and for medical personnel as well as for correctional facility officers because i want to pray for everyone in our country that's making our country a wonderful nation to live in that we might live in peace and the gospel might go out unhindered friends you have been listening to table talk with me your your host mark we are going to be going to news shortly there may be a song before that and so until next week friday Walk wisely, live holy, and testify zealously.